0: Hi, and welcome to your OWEN podcast, podcast for the Ontario Animal Health Network, and quick and handy tips for veterinarians on the go. I'm Dr. Melanie Barham, OWEN coordinator. Today we're joined by Dr. Scott Weets, boarded internal medicine specialist from the Ontario Veterinary College. We're gonna be talking about managing risk with raw food diets from an infectious disease perspective. Thanks for joining us, Scott. So today, Scott, we're going to be, as uh, Scott knows, we're going to be talking about raw food diets. Um, We're going to be talking, focusing on the science uh, of what we know about raw food diets and trying to present a balanced view. Um, So, Scott, can you just, um, what constitutes a raw diet?
1: Well, raw, raw diets can be fairly variable. At their base, obviously, they're uncooked food, but these can range from commercial products that are prepared with a mix of meat, vegetable supplements, and other things to homemade diets that are, you know, varying compositions to someone that's feeding chicken necks, chicken wings, and a whole variety of independent substances. But the, the take-home is they're all uncooked.
0: Okay. And how do they differ? How do raw diets, uh, raw homemade diets differ from a commercial diet?
1: There could be a lot of variability in raw-made diets. So if it's a homemade diet, there's a lack of formulation. So it can be variability between what's being fed. Uh, You don't really know what's going in unless you've got a recipe that's been really well evaluated and you can follow that exactly. As opposed to a commercial raw diet where some of these can be formulated with fairly strict ingredient lists, so they're fairly consistent, versus a commercial cooked or canned diet. Where there's usually more rigor in terms of contents, uh, evaluation of nutritional adequacy, nutritional contents, and quality control.
0: Okay, gotcha. Um, and what are the most common and or significant contaminants of raw food or any concerns that we might see with those di- diets?
1: Well, infectious disease is a big concern with raw. There are a variety of pathogens that can be found in raw meat, and that's why we cook raw meat. It's to kill things that can contaminate it. Bacterial contamination is not unexpected in processing meat. And you can find a whole range of bacteria in raw foods, and many of them aren't going to be a problem, and there might be low levels that aren't a problem. But there are some that can cause serious disease in animals and people, salmonella being probably the most common one, or the most concerning one, but other bacteria such as E. coli, Campylobacter, Listeria, and potentially some parasites can be of concern.
0: Okay. Um, Now, some people who who are kind of raw food proponents do mention that um, they kind of talk about um, that dogs are not necessarily as affected by these pathogens as people or or cats or whatever. Is that what Is there validity
1: to that? Yeah, there are a lot of internet statements out there saying things like the dog's GI tract is very acidic or it's very short. Or even the FDA has said dogs can't get salmonella, which is clearly wrong. We know dogs can get salmonella. They can get campylobacter. Um, They don't every time they get exposed to it, just like people don't. It depends on how healthy the dog is and the amount that they ingest and how healthy their gut is. But they certainly can and do get infectious diseases from eating raw food.
0: Okay. Um, and are, is there objective evidence that raw diets pose a risk to people or a risk to pets?
1: Yeah, the risks are really hard to quantify and the problem it relates to a few things. One is we just don't have data on it. They aren't reportable diseases. If you get contamination of, you know, hamburger for human use, usually that gets detected through an outbreak. Multiple people get sick. Those get traced. If it's salmonella, it's reportable. So it gets followed back to the source. When you're looking at raw commercial diets for for animals or raw homemade diets in particular, these are much more sporadic. And if an animal gets sick, it's unlikely to be diagnosed, and if it gets diagnosed, that's probably unlikely to be reported and unlikely to be investigated. So the information just doesn't come through as mm-hmm. effectively, although certainly we, we know from looking at cases where animals have become sick from raw diets, where we find the same strain of salmonella in the animal and in the food, and in some situations where you can find it in a person as well.
0: Okay, okay. Um, and so the infectious disease risks are there, um, but they're not super well documented at the moment.
1: Yeah, we don't know how common it is, and it probably varies greatly. It's going to be higher in a young animal and an old animal and an animal with a compromised immune system and with compromised gut function, function things that reduce the ability of the body to fight off bacteria that we eat. Just like in people, we know that the risks in households with raw-fed animals are probably higher in households with infants and immunocompromised people, pregnant women and elderly individuals, because they're more likely to get sick when they get exposed to something like salmonella.
0: Okay. Um, and what about the foreign body and GI trauma risks? That's something that veterinarians uh, can, are concerned about on a regular basis. Um, what, what are, what's your take on it?
1: Yeah. But besides infectious diseases, we think about two main concerns. One is foreign body and the other is nutritional adequacy. And foreign bodies are a concern when people are feeding bones. Um, Sometimes dogs can ingest bones perfectly fine. They'll chew them up. They'll pass through their intestinal tract. But depending on the size and the nature of the bone, uh, they can lodge through the intestinal tract. They can cause perforations and that can cause serious disease. Okay. Um,
0: All right. And then is there Is there objective evidence that raw food diets provide benefits to pets above and beyond uh, a good quality commercial diet?
1: The evidence for benefits of raw just aren't there at the moment. Certainly, some animals do better on a raw diet than the diet they were on before, and it's not because they're not cooked, it's because of ingredients. So there are probably very few, if any, animals that do better on a raw diet than an equivalent limited ingredient commercial diet. Mm-hmm. So if they've had a food allergy and they go on a raw diet that doesn't have that food antigen, then they're going to get better. That's that's expected. They would probably do the same thing on a commercial cooked diet that had a limited antigen as well. Right. So definitely some animals will respond better to a raw diet if they have a food intolerance or food allergy Uh, but it doesn't mean they have to have raw as the only way to control the disease.
0: So the same thing might be found if they did a homemade cooked diet, for example.
1: Right. If they they found that they went to a diet consisting of whatever, lamb and rice they made with raw, then Mm -hmm. cooking that lamb and rice is probably going to do the same thing or using a commercial lamb and rice diet that's controlled so there's no antigen contamination would probably be as effective. It's not the matter that something's cooked or not. it's, It's what antigens go into the dog.
0: Right. Is there a safe way to feed raw foods to pets to avoid the health risk to people?
1: And it's hard to say what we say, safe or safer. And I think the emphasis should be on safer. Um, We know there are some situations where the risks are going to be higher. And one of the things when thinking about feeding raw is when shouldn't we feed raw? And that would be when we have high-risk animals or high-risk people. So if you have breeding animals, you're going to have young puppies. We have animals with compromised immune systems. Those are the ones we don't want to see exposed to more pathogens Mm -hmm. because they're more likely to get sick. And then the same thing with people in the household. When you're feeding raw diet to your animal, there's a risk of exposure from the animal, from the food bowl, from the way food is handled. So the same risk factors. So we, we like to avoid raw in households with young children and elderly individuals and immunocompromised individuals and pregnant women. And as well, thinking downstream a little bit, if we've got a dog that's going to be encountering high-risk people, so if it's a dog that goes to daycares or a dog that goes to hospitals, that's a dog we don't want at higher risk of shedding salmonella or having salmonella contamination around its face. Mm-hmm. So there certain situations we want mm-hmm. to avoid feeding raw. And then there's certain situations where the risk is fairly low. If you've got a healthy animal and a healthy household, yes, there's some degree of risk, um, but it's maybe not substantial. But there are things that we can do to reduce that risk, and that comes down to how we handle the food, how we handle the food bowls, not cross-contaminating raw chicken in the refrigerator on the countertops and the sinks, the food bowls. Basic things such as what we do when handling raw meat for ourselves, mm-hmm. okay. and just cleaning and disinfecting areas that might be contaminated.
0: Right. Um, is there any? Is there any evidence behind? Like, dis- I guess it's pretty hard to disinfect a dog's face, and certainly handling their fecal matter is kind of a.
1: Yeah, handling a dog that's been eating raw, there's always gonna be some degree of risk. We really don't know. There's probably some risk around their face. So if they're just eating raw food and they lick you, that's probably a greater risk oh, of exposure. You're not a great thing. If they if they're eating raw, they have much greater chance of shedding salmonella and multidrug resistant E. coli and some other things in their feces. But hopefully we're avoiding feces yeah, any time. <laughs> so it's a reason to pay a little more attention to handling feces, but it's something we're gonna do normally. So we don't really know what the risks from that dog are. The at the individual level, the that one dog that's care that's feeding raw probably poses a little bit risk but the more and more dogs they're there and the more and more they get exposed to high-risk people that's when the risk probably comes in. So at the household level common sense handling feces well, washing hands, handling food properly, don't let the raw food drip onto the vegetables in the fridge and the countertop. A lot of little things that we can do that are common sense that just don't always get done.
0: Okay Um, and what about irradiation and HPP?
1: Yeah, so one of the things is people want raw food because they want the food to be raw, but there are things that we can do to reduce the risk of bacterial contamination. And and there are two main things that can be done. One is irradiation, which is highly effective at killing bacteria and is just not very palatable for a lot of people that want to feed raw. Uh, The best approach... at this point beyond that is high pressure pasteurization. That's where essentially is what it is. You use high pressure to destroy bacteria in a sample. So it doesn't cook. It produces very minimal heat during the process, but it reduces the bacterial contamination down quite substantially and probably makes it at similar risk to a commercial dry food. There's always some risk of contamination of any food that's out there. So high pressure pasteurization brings that risk down quite a bit. So if someone's going to feed raw, um, that's a way to reduce the risk.
0: Okay. And are those is that that's something that you would have to get done with a commercial raw food diet, I imagine. Yeah. The, at home. There are various like a home irradiation kit or a-
1: yeah, you can't irradiate on yourself. There there are various companies that offer high pressure pasteurized food and those are I think getting more common and they're really pushing that as mm-hmm. something that separates them because there's that greater level of security there. Beyond that, if someone's making their own raw diet, the only thing you can really do to ensure that you're killing things is to cook it. which makes it not raw anymore. The one other thing that can be done is freezing. Um, Bacteria like to be frozen. That's how we store a lot of bacteria, but parasites don't like to be frozen. So a single freeze thaw will kill most parasites. And some bacteria like Campylobacter don't tolerate that as well. So if you're going to do a homemade raw diet and you can't do anything else, making sure the food goes through a freeze and then a thaw probably reduces the risk a little bit.
0: Okay, good to know. Um, now, what about the, uh, the issues of unbalanced diets for pets and, and who still want to feed raw?
1: Yeah, nutritional adequacy is a big problem um, because, you know, I'm not a diet formula. I wouldn't know where to start and I could do some reading and I would hope the reading is good. But it, it's a lot of work to make a diet right. And that's why we have nutritionists. Uh, and that's why companies spend a lot of time, whether the raw companies or commercial cooked food companies, creating diets and doing quality control on them. It's more than simply taking some chicken wings and chicken necks and some rice and some supplements and mixing them all together and assuming things are adequate because that's not the way it is. And people will say, well, in the wild, the dogs and the wolves aren't you know, mixing their own diets. Well, but they kind of are evolutionarily. They're eating different parts of the animal. They're scavenging and we have to realize that our animals live a lot longer than an animal in the wild. So a and lot of them probably are probably dying of, of dietary issues.
0: And they've probably changed a lot since the days of the wolf. Like a chihuahua is so significantly yeah. different from...
1: And we know there are some evolutionary differences in how you're true how the wolf can handle things like carbohydrates mm-hmm. versus the domestic dog. Our, our dogs have evolved to live with people and to live with food that comes from people. So nutritional adequacy is something we need to pay attention to. And if people are making their own diets, a lot of work needs to go into that. If you're feeding a commercial diet, then it's a matter of looking at what that company's done. So the the best thing is companies that have done feeding trials, AFCO, A-A-F-C-O, is a group that uh, oversees. It doesn't regulate it, but it kind of provides guidance for pet food manufacturing, and they have standards. So if the product has gone through an AFCO feeding trial, that means they've taken dogs and they've fed them the diet and they've shown that it's adequate. Okay. So that's the best thing to look at. And then the next step down is a diet that will say something like it's formulated to meet AFCO requirements, which means it's comprised such that it should be fine. They just haven't done the feeding trial. Okay. So it'll probably be okay. So ideally, you look at a diet that is ideally high-pressure pasteurized and then one that has done a feeding trial, okay. or at least one that says... Been formulated to fit those requirements. Now, you see some companies that will say, okay, well, we don't do that because our food changes and we don't expect them to feed just that you should feed this one day and this the other day. And maybe things balance out, but you're relying on a bit of luck for things to balance out and you're taking some concerns. And again, we've got some high risk situations where that's a big problem. And that's when young animals, we certainly see problems with litters of puppies that have been fed raw that have nutritional imbalances. Uh, It's going to be a a problem in, in growing animals in particular. And probably animals that have other diseases or they're sick, because if their body's not getting fed properly, that's going to impact how they can handle disease.
0: So questions. So we talked a little bit about some of the questions that people uh, feeding their animals a raw diet should ask their food suppliers. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that?
1: Well, I think part of it's asking the suppliers and part of it's reading the label. Yeah. And sometimes, if, anytime you see a, a diet that has a lot of claims and it's claimed to cure everything, it'll probably cure nothing. So right. I want to see a, a balanced claim. So I'd like to see that it has the ingredients, has everything that's in there. And I'd like to see that something like high-pressure pasteurization has been done and stated on there. And then an AFCO statement, whether it's feeding trial or whether it's meeting nutritional, mm-hmm. meeting AFCO requirements, to show that... Rather than just taking some, you know, some animal bits and some veggies and putting them in a bag, that they've put some thought into it. Talking to companies, you can ask them questions. Do they have a nutritionist? Who formulates their diets? Is it someone with any training? What kind of quality control do they do? Do they test their product routinely for nutritional con- composition? And do they do pathogen testing? Do they look for things like salmonella? Now, we know if it's, if it's untreated, there's going to be, you know, a relatively high risk. But the more they put into developing their product and testing the quality and trying to ensure consistency, uh, the more confidence you can have in it. But the less they can answer about that, the more concern I would have.
0: Okay, gotcha. Um, and as far as nutritionists, uh, would you be looking for a veterinary nutritionist?
1: Ideally, if you're talking about the nutritionist, you'd be a veterinary nutritionist, or at least someone with animal nutrition. Not, not all people have training in, you know, a PhD in pet food nutrition because there aren't that many out yeah. there. Uh, but someone that that understands nutrition, understands diet formulation, and asking about their experience and their background certainly is fine. There are people, there are some companies that will say they have a PhD uh, formulator, but that person might not be a nutritionist. Okay. And that's been a concern with some.
0: Okay, interesting. Thank you very much for joining us, Scott. Be sure to join in to part two where we continue our discussions with Dr. Weiss. In a couple of weeks, we'll also be welcoming Dr. Adroni Verbrugge, who is a board-certified nutritionist and research chair from the OVC, and we'll be talking about raw food and homemade diets from a nutritionist perspective.